Well, good morning, everyone. I'm really glad each one of you are here. And if you want to open your Bibles along with me, we are in Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. You know, uh, just a couple of announcements. Just a reminder that in September we're going to be having a, uh, um, a marriage conference and uh, be right here at the church. And we're going to meet at 9 and we'll go to about 2. So if uh, you are a married couple, we'd encourage you to come. And like I mentioned uh, last week, it's not just for couples that might be having problems. It's for couples that are doing well as, as also because it's an encouragement for each one of us to live our lives in marriage as the Lord intended us. And another piece of good news, and uh, this is pretty exciting, as you recall, um, New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center had actually gone into a lawsuit because they're a Christian organization and therefore they do not adopt babies out to same-sex uh, couples, only to those that are married man and woman, and so they were taken to court, and the lower court ruled against them, and it went to a higher court, and they just heard last week they won. <laughs> so all the couples that they already have lined up, they can adopt the children out to, but you need to keep praying because now it has to go before the lower court and possibly the upper court again in order for them to have unlimited number of couples they can bring in for adoption. So we need to keep praying about that. Pretty awesome, though, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name because there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And I pray, Father, that as we dig into your word, it would encourage us to live in such a way that our fellowship with you becomes more intense and more intimate. There's no better place to be, Lord, than in your presence. And so, Father, I ask that you would use me to minister your word to these, your people, that it might speak to their hearts in such a way that they would be encouraged in their faith and in their walk. And so now come, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, anointing use me to minister, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we're in Numbers chapter 31, and this is a very difficult portion, probably in all of Scripture. And, uh, but the thing we have to understand, anytime we're reading a difficult portion of Scripture, understand that there are nuggets of truth in there that the Lord wants us to find. And it's just like when you're digging for diamonds. Not that I've ever done that or ever found one. But anyway, if you, I've read about it. If you're digging for diamonds, you have to dig through a whole lot of stuff until you finally find that gem. And so there are some times that the Word of God might seem difficult, but when you dig in, the truth is just so beautiful. And so our resolve must always be uh, strong enough and diligent enough to be willing to dig in. And as I said, this portion is very difficult. In fact, in some areas, it's very drastic. But in the end, as we will find, it brings out a, a real wisdom from God that we need to apply to our lives. Now, turn with me to Hebrews 12, because we have to realize that one of the things, that, one of the points we're going to be bringing out from this portion is how easily it is for 
we as believers to be entangled in sin. I'm not talking about sinners entangled in sin. That's all they know. But for you and I as believers, it's so easy for us to be entangled. And so a portion like this encourages us to take the steps that we need to distance ourselves from those temptations that lead to sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, listen to this, every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy, how can we understand it? I mean, his love for us must be unbelievable who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The whole reason Jesus went to the cross is that he knew each one of us by name, even before the foundations of the world were laid, and he was willing, in fact, he joyfully died for us, that we might not only have fellowship with him now, but be with him in heaven one day. It's absolutely amazing. And as I mentioned, today's topic is not an easy one to be addressed, and, but we have to realize that some of the basic sins that we're going to be looking at in this portion, it's sin that people all over the world are falling to. We have to understand sin separates people from God, and it causes believers to have their, their, their walk uh, turn to the right and turn to the left, and the strength of their walk and the joy of their fellowship with God is diminished because of sin. It's not that you, you know, uh, if a person loves Jesus Christ and yet they find themselves falling to this sin and falling to that sin, they're still in relationship with the Lord, but their walk is very feeble and, and their, their joy has been diminished tremendously. The more we walk in relationship with God according to his word, the more joy we have. Understand that. Now, turn to, well, you, know, you don't have to turn to this. Just write it down to make sure you um, look at it. Uh, John 10.10 10 says, the thief, talking about Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, Jesus is speaking, and he says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So in this portion of Scripture, you see the problem and the solution. The problem is Satan. He wants to pull us down. The solution is Jesus Christ. He wants to lift us up. It's amazing, isn't it? So in Numbers chapter 31, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered, gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. So there were, so there were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for battle. There are 12 tribes. Then Moses uh, sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the holy articles and with the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, 
Rekim, Zer, Hur, and Reba. How would you like to have those names? The five kings of Midian. Balaam, pay attention to this. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive and their little ones and took as spoil their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities uh, where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. Then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoils to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. Now, before we need to, before we read this next portion, you need to understand that the sin of the Moabites was beyond what you and I can even imagine. In a sense, taking a biblical term, the sin of the Amorites had become full. I mean, their perversion, I don't want to get into details, I don't want to become graphic, but their perversion and, and their violence was unbelievable. So understand that before we read this next portion. Verse 14, but Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, who had come from battle. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the consul of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves the young girls who have not known a man. Now understand, they were keeping these young women alive as servants. They weren't as concubines or some kind of sex slave. They kept them alive as servants. Because you have to understand, the whole reason they went to battle was so that the, because the women of Midian had corrupted the men of Israel. So there is no way that it was ever intended to be looked at in that way. But they were keeping these young women alive to be uh, servants for the children of Israel. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to battle, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall purify through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure the fire, you shall put through the water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean, and afterwards you may come into the camp. This was the last act of Moses the last command that he gave before he was gathered to his fathers, in other words, before he died. And remember that the Midianites, they joined themselves with the Moabites in order to uh, hire, hire Balaam, the son of Peor, for what reason? In order to uh, bring a curse on the Israelites. And when Balaam was not able to bring a curse on the Israelites, though he tried because he wanted the money, 
They were paying him to put a curse on the Israelites. And though he couldn't because the Lord wouldn't allow him to, he did instruct the Midianites how to cause the Israelites to come under God's judgment. And that was by sin. So they literally sent their women. I, I told you these people were very perverse. They sent their women in among the men of Israel in order to entice them and in order to draw them away from the Lord. And it was because of this that God brought a plague on the Israelites, and many died in that plague. Now, keep in mind, and this is important to think about, it wasn't idolatry that led to the women, it was women that led to the idolatry. Because remember, God's anger with the, with the children of Israel wasn't only that they were entangling themselves with these Moabite women, but the Moabite women were bringing them in to worship their gods, to turn away from the Lord. And so when we talk about the fact that it wasn't uh, idolatry that led to the women, but women that led to the idolatry, what it refers to as far as we are concerned is when you allow yourselves to be entangled in any sin, anything that is contrary to God, it'll pull you away. It'll draw you away from the Lord. It's hard to be in right fellowship with the Lord, to be in prayer, to be in study of the word and so forth, if you're entangled in, in some kind of sin that is just drawing you away. And um, think about this. Lust took down Samson, but of course they all repented, understand that, took down Samson, took down David, took down Solomon, and that, that's just to name a few. Because the lust of the flesh is one of Satan's favorite tools that he still uses today. Because consider how many verses touch on this topic in Scripture. If you take notes, write down 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 7. And that talks about how women can be drawn away into this kind of lustful sin. And then write down Romans chapter 1 and verses 26 through 27, and it talks about how men and women can be drawn into even homosexual lust. And so we have to realize that lust is never content until it has all of us. Sin is never content. Satan is never content. Because we have to remember where all this comes from is Satan. We just read that just a moment ago. That Satan is the one who brings this kind of sin upon us. Satan is real. He's not just imaginary. He's not just some figment or some character that we read about in the Bible. He is real. And he is active. And he roams the earth to and fro in order to seek who he may devour. He always wants to pull us away. Now, consider the following verses. This is one of the uh, Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verses four, verse 14 and verse 17, you shall not commit adultery. And then in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And so this kind of sin was actually put in the Ten Commandments because it is a sin that is so pervasive among mankind and so easily pulls man away. But pay attention to Psalm 101 and verse 31. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And in Matthew, if you're taking notes, chapter 5, verses 28 through 29, but I say to you, 
that whoever looks at a woman for lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, it's not saying that you don't notice someone of the opposite sex that's attractive. It's talking about looking at them in such a way that it goes beyond that. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 13, it says, listen to this. This is so awesome. Make sure you have this verse written down. Now, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the, for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Our body wasn't made for sexual immorality. It was made for the Lord. God created us to worship him and to be in fellowship with him. And nothing has taken down the family and has drawn men and women from the Lord more quickly than lust. This area of our humanity is like a bucket of gasoline that is just easily ignited by the simplest spark of a match into a blazing fire. But we also have to remember what we read about in Psalm 101 and verse 3. And I told you we would get back to this in a moment. It tells us that we're not to set anything wicked before our eyes. The eyes, what does Scripture tell us the eyes are? The window to the soul. And what we set before our eyes is very dangerous. And you think, well, actually there was a, um, a Kinsey study that talked about the fact that not only men, but men and women are caught into wrong viewing. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to go any further than that. Think about this. Through the advent of the computer, cell phones, social media, TV, movies, whatever, men and women are bombarded by lustful temptation daily. When you see an advertisement, think of how they advertise almost anything. Now, the computer also, parents, listen to what I'm saying. The computer is not discriminatory of age. In other words, uh, let's say you have a minor child who puts on a website, and the website says, are you 18? What's the child going to say? No. They say yes. And the computer doesn't say, okay, show your identification. So we have to realize, parents, all these devices, computers, cell phones, and like that, we need to be very careful with our children. There's a thing called VidAngel you can get, and what it does is it puts a filter in all the movies and, and so forth that the children might look at, and you need to put parental guards on your computer. It's not being untrustworthy. We have to understand that Satan is a deceiver and a liar, and he doesn't care. He, wants, he came to kill, to maim, and to destroy. So you as parents, put guards on your computer so that your children can't go to these sites. Now, as Balaam taught Balak to cause the children of Israel to sin, so we have to understand devil's devices haven't changed. If he can't hit, hit us with a frontal attack because of our love for the Lord, he'll come through the back gate. And that's the problem that happens. And, you know, sometimes we have these front-on battles and we're victorious and we're feeling good, and that's when Satan comes in through the back gate and he can pull us down. Now, um, for some of us, the problem might not be physical lust in that sense, but 
It could be worldly kind of lust for the things of the world. You know, I, I'm living for fame. I'm living for, for popularity. I'm, I'm living for, for wealth and so forth. That can be just as distractive as, as some kind of a lustful attack as well. And so that is still of the world. The things of this world, in the end, mean nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have Jesus, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And uh, I, I love, this was a bumper sticker, and, and I, I think about it a lot. And it says, K-N-O-W, Jesus. No Jesus. K-N-O-W, peace. N-O, Jesus. N-O, peace. So in other words, if you have Jesus, you have peace. If you don't have Jesus, you don't. Because if you think, well, if I had more money, if I had a better job, if I had more fame and popularity, then I'd be happy. Wait, wait a second. Think of all the very famous people, movie stars and so forth, that you know, are going from one marriage to another, who are in this institution and that institution for drug and alcohol rehabilitation, who've committed suicide. I'll tell you what, take that. I don't want it. I want peace with Jesus Christ. And that's what all of us should be striving after. And that means we have to be willing to do whatever, we, whatever is necessary to set aside the things of the world that so easily entangle us, as the scripture we said, uh, we just read. It says so easily entangles us. In other words, it's not hard. It easily entangles us, so we need to stay away from it. Now, for some, we have to understand um, how many of us have found ourselves bowing down to the altar of the computer, TV, cell phones, and movies at the cost of Bible reading, prayer, family devotions, and following, listen to this, and fellowshipping with um, other believers. Those are the things that cause us to draw closer to the Lord. We read the Bible. The Bible speaks to us every time we read it. Um, prayer, getting before the Lord and making our, our requests known to him, and fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers. It's such a beautiful thing. You see, brothers and sisters, if you go to prayer only to ask God for things, you're missing out on the deepest and best part of prayer. When you go to prayer with a desire to be in fellowship with the Lord, to hear his voice, to be in communion with him, it's such a beautiful thing. But of course, all these distractions pull us away. You know what I'm talking about. How many of us have um, gone to bed at night and said, you know what, tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow I'm not going to sit in front of the TV in the evening. I'm going to be in prayer and Bible study. Tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to go right to the Word. And then tomorrow comes, and maybe we do, maybe we don't. But we have to realize there is this constant struggle that we have to deal with. There's never a time where we come into a relationship with the Lord to such a degree that, well, the only thing I ever do and the only thing I ever think about is worshiping God. I never have any trials and never have any temptations. I never have any struggles. I just love God. Well, there will come a time it'll be like that, and it's called glorification, either at death or the rapture when you're with the Lord. Then you won't even know how to sin. But while we have this body of flesh... There's a struggle. 
And there is a battle that is waged, and we need to be willing to wage that battle. Because the minute you, start, you stop advancing, you'll start retreating. So we need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not staying stagnant or backpedaling. We need to be growing. Now, if you want to know how to take a stand against the devil, look up or, or open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 6 and Titus chapter 2. But in Ephesians chapter 6, go to verse 13. And I love the way this starts, this part. Probably mo most of you have memorized this at some time in your Christian walk. It says, take up the whole armor of God. It doesn't say take up part of the armor. It says take up the whole armor of God. You know why? Because any part of this armor that is not in place, you're vulnerable. And, and one of the things that's interesting that I heard uh, an evangelist share many years ago, all of this armor is front-on protection. If you turn your back and run, you're vulnerable. So we need to take our stand against the devil, but we need to have the full armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole, whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And it's interesting because if you've ever seen an illustration of the armor of the Romans, the, uh, uh, girding, or the, they used to call it a girdle, just means a belt. And all the armor was attached to that belt. And so... That is the, the first thing that we have to do is we have to be gird, gird your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the prep, preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. By the way, in all we're reading here, the sword is the only offensive weapon. So we don't go against people by our strength and by our, you know, whatever. You go, you, you take against our enemy, you take the word of God. When you're trying to minister to other people, it has to be the word of God. Not your emotions, not your intensity, but the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplications in the spirit. And what it means there when it talks about praying in the spirit is the fact that, you know, we should not be content with just doing, you know, now I lay me prayers. You know, we have to be praying, Lord, I want to commune with you in my spirit. Help me to just pray to you from my heart, from my cardiac. Help me, Lord, to be in fellowship with you that my prayers are heard. Being watchful to, uh, to this end with all perseverance. Now turn to Titus chapter 2, if you're, if you're already there. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. And we're going to read, we're going to read verses 11 through 14 of Titus chapter 2. And I love how this starts because we have to understand as believers, everything is grace. Everything's grace. It's never anything that you've earned or you deserve. Well, if I do this, then God's going to do that. You have a wrong concept of our relationship with the Lord. It's all grace. Everything is from him, Scripture tells us. So in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So this is telling us that it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power in order to live a life that is pleasing to God. And we should be doing this all the more as we see that day approaching. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that day is approaching very quickly. There's no way we can look at the world around us and not realize that lawlessness is abounding and it's getting even more and more. The sin of the Amorites is becoming full. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will come to a place where he has to bring judgment on this world because of its sin. You know, we were talking about New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center, and you've heard me share this before. When you have 1,240,000 babies that are murdered in the womb every year, when more babies of color are aborted than are born live, that's frightening. And so we have to understand that this world is, is a cesspool. It's a cesspool. And yes, we might be able to, you know, see goodness here and goodness there and good deeds here and good deeds there, and that's wonderful. But the fact is the world has come to a place, the world has come to a place where God's judgment has to come. And his wrath is going to fall on this world. Well, what does that mean to us? God has not appointed us unto wrath, but salvation. So we have to understand that when the time for God to pour out his wrath on this world comes, which is very close, maybe sooner than we think, his church is going to be taken out of the world first. We have that beautiful example of Lot and in Sodom. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah was, was evil. Evil. So evil that when angels came to speak to Lot, that the men of the city came and they wanted to have homosexual relations with the angels. And they were going to kill Lot. Because they wanted those angels. The angels blinded them. And we read in that portion of Scripture that God's judgment could not fall on Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot and his family were out. God's judgment is not going to fall on this world until his children are out. That day is near. Now, I always share this as an encouragement for those of you that are witnessing and sharing with family. And I, I believe this with all my heart. Now, understand that God's wrath is going to come on this world, but there are going to be people, because of God's wrath being poured out, who will get saved. In fact, so many people come to the Lord during the tribulation that the Antichrist has to have a system in order to determine who they are, the mark of the beast. And so, even though... Um, we know that people are going to be saved during the tribulation. We as believers, we don't want to go through the tribulation. We don't want to experience the wrath of God. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us we can't. He's not appointed us unto wrath. And so we have to realize that we're living in that time. We're living in that time. Now, we must not be like Zimri who brought Cosby right back into the camp. 
Remember before the plague came and it talked about how, the, how um, you know, the Moabites were tempting the children of Israel with their women and, and they're going after the women, then going after all their false gods. Um, so you have Zimri. He brought one of the Midianite women right while Moses was condemning the Israelites for what they were doing. He brought him right in. He brought this woman right in and went into his tent. And then Phineas went in high priest's son put a spear through both of them. Didn't end up good for either one of them, did it? And so um, we have to realize that we have to operate in this world. Every one of us has to operate in this world, right? Go to work, go to stores, go to school. We all have to operate in this world. But brothers and sisters, don't bring the world home with you. And even though you're operating in this world, you don't have to be part of the sin of this world. And I think that's important for us to realize. Because all these verses that we're reading about here are warnings to us not to allow ourselves to be entangled with the world. And also encouraging us to be cleansed with the washing of the water of the word. You know, one of my favorite verses, you guys know my favorite verses, don't you? In 1 John 1, 9, if. Now understand, if is a conditional conjunction. In other words, it's required in order for the rest of the verse to be fulfilled. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but every day I have to go before the Lord and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. You know, hopefully we, we are getting better and better and better as we grow in the Lord but all of us realize that there are so many things in this world and the entanglements of the flesh that are constantly pulling us aside. You know, for guys, a simple thing that you can uh, relate to is you're driving down the road, probably some women too, but, you know, I'm being discriminatory towards the guys. But a guy's driving down the road and someone pulls out in front of him. He doesn't say, bless you, my brother. Well, you know what? That's sinful. And we have to repent of it. And we do. But <laughs> so we have to realize it's so easy for the, for the things of this world to just entangle us. And um, think about, remember when um, Jesus went before his disciples? It was after they had the, the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper. And Jesus went before his disciples, and he put a towel around his waist, and he started washing his disciples' feet. And he came to Peter, and Peter said, You will not wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. Then, then Peter said, Well, give me a whole bath then. <laughs> and Jesus said, You don't need a bath. Someone has already been cleansed. What's the meaning of that? The meaning of it is this. When we have been born again, when we've committed our life to Jesus Christ and we have come into the family of God, we've been purified. Our heart is cleansed. We're purified. But we walk in this dirty, evil world and there are times our feet get dirty, maybe even filthy, and they have to be washed. And what does Scripture call it? Washing with the water of the Word. We need to get into the Word of God. We need to get into prayer. God, forgive me, a sinner. And see, when he came to Peter, and Peter said, you won't wash my feet, he was falling into legalism. 
He was falling, falling into a doctrine of works. No, I'll, I'll wash my own feet. You can't wash your own feet. Because no one is capable of removing the filth of the world except the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. The washing with water of the word. Now, every day, of course, there is a battle that lies ahead of us. And every day, we have to be willing to be cleansed. But we have to remember the words of Jesus. And if you take notes, write down John 17, 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. Have you ever heard the, the euphemistic saying that people say, be in the world but not of it? And they say, you know, the Bible tells us be in the world and not of it. Well, the Bible doesn't actually say those words, but that's what it means right here. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. You see, the Bible tells us we're a light, right? The Bible tells us that we are the truth. And so we have a responsibility to take our faith to others. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be entangled with some of the things of the world. That's when we have to go back and confess and repent. But our responsibility is to share the truth with others that they might know Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, we have to be willing to be before the Lord on our knees every day that we might be kept from the evil one. And know this, brothers and sisters, we also have to understand the areas of weakness that we have that we need to just hold ourselves back from. Some people to you might be toxic as far as sin is concerned. There might be certain people that you're around that are toxic. Well, that's the situation where you pray for them and, and you want them to come to the Lord. You've got to stay away. Now, maybe there'll be a time that your strength will, and your relationship with the Lord will be so strong you can go to that toxic person and share. But the fact is, we have to know those people and those situations that are detrimental to our walk with the Lord and stay away from them. Now, notice here, Balaam was killed along with the Midianites. And in the same way, we have to remove ourselves from all the temptations that pull us down. Why was Balaam killed? When you read the account of Balaam, all he did was bless Israel. And he was taken up in the mountains to overlook the camp, and, and, and Balak wanted him to curse Israel. All he could do is bless Israel because the, God, the Lord God is able to do what he wants to do and prevent people from doing the, uh, what he doesn't want them to do. So as much as Balaam wanted to curse Israel in order to get the money, he couldn't. So he figured out a different way, the back door that we talked about earlier, and to cause the children of Israel to fall to sin. You know what? God, God held him just as responsible for that as if he cursed Israel. And so he was put to death. So we have to be careful of those back doors. We have to be careful of those people who might seem to be great spiritual people, but they're going to come in the back door, and they're going to tempt you and encourage you into doing things that you shouldn't be doing. You know, one of the things that we notice at the very end of this portion of Scripture is that there are some things that need to be cleansed with fire. 
talks about the different things that are cleansed with fire. And sometimes the Lord has to cleanse us with fire. If you, you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, there are times it's like, oh, wow, God, forgive me. You know, I, I see it right off. I, it's right, oh, yes, forgive me, Lord. And there are times that I'm like, I'm going to keep going that direction. And the fire comes. And the Lord does what is necessary in order to humble us and put us on our knees. Because he loves us. And the most important thing with the Lord is our eternal soul. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. And so sometimes when in our stubbornness, you know, we're like the horse with the bridle. Remember that whole portion in, in Proverbs? And we just want to go our own way. Then the Lord's going to bring fire. Not because he doesn't like us, but because he loves us in order to open us up to the truth and help us to see what we're doing in our relationship with the Lord, how destructive our behavior is. And I thank God for that. I mean, most often, I just want to be washed with the water of the word. <laughs> right? I think most of us, we just want to be washed with the water of the, uh, of the word. But God loves us so much that if we are stubborn, he'll bring fire. So, as a believer, sometimes when you have very difficult situations that fall upon your head, it might not be because God doesn't know or God doesn't love you. It could be because God loves you so much. Because if we're going in the wrong direction, he's going to turn us. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for the salvation that you so freely give to anyone who calls upon your name. And I pray, Father, that this portion of Scripture would encourage us in our walk and help us to realize that the temptations of this world are real and the temptations of this world are strong. But by your Spirit and by your Word, we can overcome the evil one. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk always according to your Spirit and not according to the dictates of our flesh. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Oh, you know what? I want to have us pray one more prayer. Pastor Frank Jr. is going to be leaving today to another motocross camp as a chaplain, and uh, different than the Remsen camp he normally goes to. And these camps usually end up having a number of young uh, men and women coming to Jesus Christ. And so let's pray for him. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you so much for... Pastor Frank Jr., and, and for his love for you and his power in, in preaching the word. And I ask that you would anoint and use him to minister to every young person and every counselor that's going to be at this camp, that we might hear a report of many coming to know you. Give him traveling mercies there. Keep he and, and, and all the writers there safe that no one would be injured. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.